All right, so if you guys want to take your Bibles, let's open to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. I've been using this as a way to teach you guys a little bit about how to study your Bible and really how to get closer to the Lord. So um, there's two ways that you can approach this, and I'm taking the second way. The first way is academically, where I could teach you about the 22 principles of Bible study, okay? Uh, and there are 22 uh, rules, principles, precepts, however you want to call it, uh, that people follow. Uh, the first rule of, of Bible study for anybody is context, context, context. You have to put it in context, right? Um, so, welcome. You guys come on in. Hello. How you doing? Good, good, good. Yeah, you guys uh, get comfortable? And like I said, just move chairs as we need to move and it'll be all right. Okay, so we're in Genesis chapter 1. Does everybody have a Bible? Everybody good with that? Okay, good. Um, all right, so what I was talking about is that there's two ways to approach this. We can either do it academically or we can do it spiritually or emotionally. And I think um, uh, what I want to do is I want to focus a little more on when you read the Bible, are you getting anything out of it? Because I think even if, you're, even if you're able to jump around and compare Scripture with Scripture, if you're not moving into a closer relationship with the Lord, it's not going to be too long until you're just like, eh, I, don't, I just don't get anything out of it, right? I think uh, the thing that blows my mind is that I had some people that instilled in me the rules of Bible study to the point that I was able to read it and go, wow, I would have never saw that. I never understood that, you know, and so... I want you guys to have those aha moments. I want you that light bulb to come on and you're like, whoa, never saw that, never understood that, right? Um, so we can do that by teaching the, the rules of Bible study, but also um, those things that I think are really going to draw you into a personal relationship, okay? So, uh, Ray, would you do me a favor and pull that door too? Uh, I think it got held open. And I'm, I talk so loud, I'm going to disturb those guys. All right, so one of the first things that we did is um, we talked a little bit about the Bible being a, um, a puzzle. So if you think about a, a, a thousand-piece puzzle, jigsaw puzzle, uh, the very first thing that you're going to do to put that puzzle together is what? Look at the picture. You're going to look at the box, right? Uh, because the box is going to give you the context that you need to, to put that thing together. We all, we, somewhat cheating, right? I mean, it'd be pretty hard if somebody just laid those pieces out in front of you and said, good luck. And you have no idea if you're dealing with a bird or a cloud or a, you know, statue, you, you know, it, you need some type of a context. So one of the things that pastors can do for you is pastors can kind of give you that overall picture and kind of get you to see the big picture of what actually is happening and then you start to put the pieces together and you're like, oh, yeah, this is all part of the bird. This is all part of the cloud. This is all part of the statue and you can begin to put it together, right? Uh, the next thing that you do in a crossword puzzle is you, what? Once you look at the box, what do you do? Crossword? Did I say crossword? Yeah. 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 Jigsaw. That's, I've been saying crossword the whole time, right? Yeah, it's not, no, uh, jigsaw. I appreciate you guys being kind, but let's, cor let's correct it for the tape. Yeah, um, so in a jigsaw, the very first thing I do is I pull out all my edges, right? Uh, I try to find my corners. There's only going to be four of those, right? Try to find my corners, then I get my edges. Once you get your edges, okay, now you've got an outline, 
and you work your way in, right? Anybody else do that? Yeah. Okay, so that's actually, there's actually a name for that, uh, and, and it's, it's called inductive Bible study, okay? Uh, is that correct? Or is it deductive? I can't remember. Um, I, I want to say that it's inductive Bible study, okay? Um, and so you're doing that same thing where you're, where you're building the foundation, you're getting some, some understanding. Um, so everybody needs to approach the Bible with some presuppositions. And so the very first thing that we did is we looked at Genesis chapter one, verse number one, that says, in the beginning, God, right? And so we did a little bit of study just on um, who God is and the fact that he is the creator of all things, right? So when you look at the rest of the Bible, and this is what I want you to understand. When you look at the rest of the Bible, the book is about him, okay? First, it's about him. So the first character you're looking for in any of the stories, in anything that's going on in the Bible, you're looking for God. The second thing that it's about is you, okay? So uh, you look for God first, then how do I fit into that mix, okay? Um, there's another rule of Bible study, and that is, is that everything is written for you, but not everything is written to you, okay? So there are some things that are written to the Jews that you might be able to look at, and you might glean some things from that, but truthfully, it's not written to you, okay? So there are some promises that are made to some people, uh, whether it be the Jewish nation or whether it be Egypt or whether it be, you know, and you can look at those and you might be able to glean some truth about God from that, but you want to be careful not to take that and say, well, that's for me, when it might not be for you, because you can mess your doctrine up that way whenever you're taking on other people's stuff, okay? So everything is written for you, but not everything is written to you. That's another rule of Bible study, right? Um, so another thing that we learned is that not only is God the creator of all things, but we also saw that Jesus is the creator of all things. And for you guys, this being your first time, I'm just kind of catching you up a little bit. So, but, um, and, and these are all online. Session one and session two are online. If you guys want to go to reliantrails.com, you can catch up and get those first. And I would encourage you to do that because I'm really going quickly here, okay? Um, but we also learn that Jesus is not only somebody who was born of a virgin, but he is, in fact, God, and he is the creator of all things. So when we read here in the beginning, and it says, in the beginning, God, we have to understand that it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the very one who died on the cross for us. Okay? Look down at verse number 28 in that same passage, Genesis chapter 1, verse number 20. Uh, I said 28. Maybe it's uh, 26. Um, yeah, look at verse number 26. Um, the Bible says this, Then God said, Let what? Let us, right? One of the things that, that, that Alan brought to our attention as he was studying out was that um, in Genesis chapter 1, it uses the word for God, Elohim, right? And Elohim is actually a plural, not talking about a plurality of gods, but trying to get you to understand that there is one God made up of three persons. And we see it here again in verse number 26, let us. So there needs to be, looking at the big picture, looking at the box, we understand that God is the creator. Jesus is, is God and the creator. And so everything that we look through needs to be focused through that lens of this thing is about God and Jesus, his son. Okay. So, of course, then the spirit's going to come in here in verse number three when we start reading here in a second. So 
Uh, we, we talked a lot last time about the fact that the Bible is spiritually discerned, meaning that, uh, that God wrote the Bible through men of God, right? But that men did not write the Bible. It has one author, and that author is God, the Holy Spirit, right? The Bible specifically tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, that God moved upon men through the Holy Spirit, and as they were carried along, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit, they wrote down these words, okay? Um, so that's why you can have 40 different authors over a 2,000-year time period where you, you have no contradictions. There are some apparent contradictions in the scriptures, but when you study them out, you find that there are no contradictions, okay? Uh, usually when you apply the rules of Bible study, those things clear up pretty quick, okay? Uh, we might talk about some of those as we go on in the class. And I would encourage you, this is, this, this is not one of those... Um, you know, hit the class one time and then, and then I'm out. I'm just being honest with you. you if you're really going to learn this stuff, you're going to have to hang with me for a little bit because it does take some time for us to lay some of this stuff out. All right? Okay, so verse number one, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, some context tonight. And as you're starting to look at this, the, the more context you have, the better you're going to understand when to ask the right questions, okay? And I would, I would encourage you to be inquisitive. Always be asking the questions. Why did he say that? What's that about? Um, and really start to understand what's going on. All right, so he says this. He says that he created the heaven and the earth, right? Um, and it says, uh, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Okay, so one of the things that we talked about, one of the rules of Bible study is the rule of contrast, like and as, where he's going to constantly be contrasting something, okay? Um, so you have light, and then you have what? Darkness, okay? Now, one of the things that we learned last time is that in those contradicting things, there's always going to be a choice to be made. You're either going to choose light, or you're going to choose darkness, you're either going to be wise or you're going to be foolish, right? There's a choice to be made there, right? So in any of those contradictions that you see or any of those comparisons that you see with like and as, at some point, you're going to be making a decision, okay? So, so when Jesus starts giving you a parable or he says the kingdom of heaven is like unto, you need to be thinking, okay, what is the decision that I'm about to be making, okay? So here's what we, we understand. It says, The earth was without form of void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in verse number three, it says, And God said, Let there be light. Okay, so immediately now you've got the darkness, and then you've got its counterpart, you've got the light. Does anybody know when the sun was made? Huh? I think it's day three, right? Um, if you, is it, no, it's definitely, it's definitely not day one. Oh, the sun was made on the fourth day. Yes. Fourth day. On the fourth day. Land and sea was day three. Right. So that's interesting. So God said, let there be light and there's no sun yet. What was the sun and the moon made for? If you guys are there in your scriptures. Right. It was for time. It was to count, right. It was to count the seasons and to. To, to be able to count that stuff out. Now, wait a minute. Let's think about that. Is time eternal? No. 
or it is in fact temporal. That's what time means, right? So you have the, the only reason for the sun and the moon is to count time. But what do we see in Revelation? When you go all the way to the end of, the, of Revelation and he creates a new heaven and the new earth, something's missing. He says there is no need for the sun. Now there is a need for light. Because God is the light, right? Okay, so see, Sarah's already, she's already thinking through this thing, right? When God says, let there be light and there's no sun yet, where's that light coming from? It's coming from himself. Okay, now I want to I show you guys another comparison, just the way that my mind works a little bit on this. Um, when you see this darkness that's, in, that, that's uh, introduced, and uh, I didn't bring the sheets uh, that I gave you guys last time. Um, so let me just read here a little bit. Um, we know that darkness is a, is a time marker, right? We know that, that you've got light and darkness and he starts to mark the time there. Um, but here's a dilemma that we find. I want you guys to look over at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Now we were here last time. When we looked at 1 John chapter 1, the reason why we went there is because in verse 1 it says that which was from the beginning. And so we were comparing the fact that Genesis 1.1 says in the beginning. 1 John 1.1 says that which was from the beginning. So if you're trying to find 1 John, uh, it's right before Revelation. Okay, It's right before Revelation. So you'll have 1, 2, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. Okay, I'll let everybody get there. But here's one of those things that's going to ask, demand a question, right? In verse number five, okay, 1 John chapter 1, verse number five, it says, this is the message that we have heard of him and proclaim unto you, that God is what? That God is light and in him is? Okay, now wait a minute. Let's think about that. Because if there's no darkness in him, but yet Genesis 1-2 says that the world was what? It was without form, it was dark without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But we know that God is light. So if this is the first thing, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then verse number two says, and the earth was without form and void, you'd have to stop and you'd have to ask a question: why is that? Does God create that way? Is that the way he does things? Or, or does God create another way, right? So I want to just kind of take you guys through. Uh, flip over to the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Somebody read for me verse number 18. Isaiah chapter 45. Let everybody get there for a second. Isaiah 45, 18. Everybody get there? Uh, we can use the buddy system too. If you guys need to, if you guys need help, that's, com that's completely fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, go ahead, Josh. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? 
Okay, now, how would I have come to the scripture? Well, I would have studied out creation, created. In, in the beginning, God created. So um, you can do word studies. Word studies are, are, are very easy, and, and that's one of the ways that, um, that you can see these things. And one of the things that I taught, and I think, Sarah, were you here last time? Yeah, we were teaching about looking at the little letters and the little numbers uh, that are in your scriptures there, okay? Um, like, for example, on verse number 18, I've got a, a V, uh, and that is going to point me to chapter 42, verse number 5, which says this, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched out them, and, and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and who, who comes from it, and, and, and what comes from it, um, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit uh, those who walk in it. So just knowing how to look at some of those little things that are already there in the scriptures, it will kind of guide you around and help you. What those little letters are, are, are things from the translators that said, I think this verse goes with that verse. Sometimes they're right in all honesty, sometimes they're wrong, okay? But it's a really good starting point. Okay, where you can look in there and you can say, okay, help me get where I need to get. Uh, as a matter of fact, back in your scriptures, you ought to look at Genesis 1-2 because you might even have a reference to Isaiah 45 in there. Okay? But what Josh read is this, For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, He is God. I love that, right? It just, it just whenever it makes that statement, He is God. That means He can do whatever He wants. That's, that's what He's saying there. right? He's the creator of all things. Uh, one of the things that we learned from Hebrews chapter 11 is that when God created things, what did he create it from? Nothing. He created it from nothing. It was his words. He spoke it into existence. There was nothing there and he spoke it and then it was, right? And the Bible says through faith that we believe that. Now, immediately, if you're going to be a Bible believer, then the Bible is, and you need to understand this, the Bible is not hard to understand, but it is hard to believe sometimes okay so god speaking something into existence from nothing we don't understand that but by faith we understand that these are the ways that the worlds came into existence so uh, uh, th that's what the scripture says and so if you're going to believe the bible and you're going to go with the bible then you're just going to mark that down because that's what god said that's the way that it happened so you can have evolutionists that talk about all these other ways and scientists that talk about. And one of the things that we mentioned last time was that um, scientists even are getting to the place where they talk about intelligent design. And they, they even say it had to come from something. I mean, like, it's too intelligent. Yeah. You, you know, like, uh, take you, you got a little amoeba or whatever it is that starts to crawl out of the sea, as they say, right? How would that, how would that entity ever know that it needed an eye? Yeah. And you know how complex the eye is? Like, like we have a hard time duplicating. Uh, we, yet, we still don't even understand ourselves. We don't understand our own brain and the way that it works. We learn more all the time, right? But yet we still don't have that thing down. Uh, we, we don't understand the soul or where, what, what really inhabits life and, and how to make that. Yet, all these things are just big question marks to us. What's Josh? interesting to me is one thing that they've come to find out, one of the things that the Big Bang is based off of, is that there was a point in space, a black hole, that our whole universe exploded from, that one point, and that we're slowly, slowly, over millions of years or whatever, pulling back towards that point. But who's to say that God, that wasn't God speaking that to happen? 
Right. Yes, that's the scientific way to say that that's what's happening because God's given us laws and ways to measure things like time. And who's to say that He's not the one who has has put that there and made it that way? And that's that's what I always say to him. Like that doesn't mean that that God doesn't exist. That just means that's the way He set it up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's what I say to people who push science at me. I'm like, okay. Now, where did dinosaurs come from? God. Well, if they yeah. existed, God. <laughs> Yeah. Why do you say that, Kim? Why do you say if they existed? I haven't seen proof of it, but I'm not convinced that there were dinosaurs. Well, I mean, in the book of Genesis, it, it says, you know, when God is creating Adam and Eve, before he created Adam and Eve, it said that God made the beasts of the earth. And mm -hmm. then a lot of people say, well, there's the animals. No, because God created the animals in the Garden of Eden. He gave permission to Adam to name all the animals. So who was, what were the beasts? He brought them before him. They were already created. No. No. He specifically in Genesis 2, he definitely uh, creates some new animals, if you will, that would be that help for Adam, right? Um, so um, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and we, we don't really have clarification on what those beasts are. That could be it. But, okay, here's what we do know. We do know that they have found evidence of dinosaurs. Yeah. Right, um, no doubt about it. That there are, in fact, bones of dinosaurs. I believe in Bigfoot, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> yeah, which is really interesting. That's really interesting. But um, so, no doubt that we have proof. Now, carbon dating and different dating that they'll do to say that say that dinosaurs are millions of years old. Right. This is where Christians have come into problems with the whole dinosaur theory because. If they are that old, we know that from the scriptures that human history is how much? How, how much human history have we had? 6,000. We've had 6,000 plus years. That's it. That's, what we've, that's all we've had. Okay? So if that be the case, then most people, what they do is they say, well, if that's the case, then Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and then he starts those seven days of creation, which we believe are literal seven days. Right. Of creation, okay? Here's another rule of Bible study. You always take the Bible literally until it tells you otherwise. There are some times that, you know, preachers like Paul, we use allegory and things like that, but it will tell you that. It's like this or it's like that, right? Um, and, and they'll let you know that. Otherwise, we take the Bible for what it says. And it literally says, on the first day, here's what he did. On the second day, and the, the sun and the moon went around once and he did this on the next day, right? He, he defines it there, but you can also look up look that word day and, and where it's used other places in scripture and it means a day. A 24-hour period, right? Uh, but carbon dating is flawed because carbon dating tells us how old the fossils are, but they base carbon dating off of fossils that no one really knows how old they are. They're just basing it off of each other. Right. It's like listening to certain politicians talk. Let, and, and, let's, and I will say that they don't have it all figured out, Josh, but just for argument's sake for a minute, let's say they've got something figured out. Let's say that they've got a little bit of something, right? Um, carbon, um, the, what, what is it? it it's uh, um, how fast something turns into carbon, right? Uh, that they try to, to, to make these dates. Okay, but here's what we do know. We do know, right? We do know that, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
and that in chapter two, that there's that it's void, it's it's dark, there's something that happened. So let me ask you this question. When did Satan fall? We went over that last week, didn't we? <laughs> no, we started to, but okay. we, we didn't get there. So that's where I want to pick up today. Okay. Right? When did your eyes in the light? When, when did, okay, we know, let's, let's talk, let's, what do we know about Satan? What do we know about him before the fall? He was an angel. He was an angel, right? Wasn't he like an angel music? So last time we went to Job 38. Did he play the harp? He was made for music, right? He, he was made of all kinds of different tapestries and, and things for music, okay? Uh, which is interesting when we look at music today, right? Um, but... Um, we went to, to Job 38. If you guys weren't here last time, you might just want to jot that down a little bit. But Job 38 tells us that when God created the heaven and the earth, that all the angels sang for joy. Okay? Which we, we also looked and saw that Satan was one of those angels. That, that was before, that was pre-fall for Satan. So let's pick that up. Let's pick that study up and let's go to Ezekiel 28. Find the book of Ezekiel. Yeah, we're we're definitely we're definitely going to be jumping around, okay? Yeah, Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. We're going to be looking at verse number eleven. Now, sometimes when you're looking at scriptures, what you're going to find is um, a double meaning, okay? Um, now, when I say double meaning, I, I don't mean that it's contradicting itself. What I mean is is that it's true in both cases. So like this, this is a, a lament over the king of Tyre. So you need to understand there actually was a king of Tyre. There actually was this guy. But as we read the scriptures, we're going to find out that he's obviously talking about something deeper than just this literal king of Tyre, right? Here's how we know that. Verse number 11. You get everybody there? He says, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, the son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the, the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, now let's stop for a second. So was the king of Tyre in Eden? Right? So immediately you're going to run into issues there if you don't understand that there's a double meaning to what's being said. So the okay. king of Tyre represents Satan. Right? Yes, that's where we're going, yes. Okay. Lucifer. Lucifer was his name, right? Pre-fall. Pre so why is Ezekiel, Ezekiel, yeah. Ezekiel yeah. comparing Satan to the king of Tyre? That's, I mean, I understand the concept. Well, Ezekiel's not. The Lord is. Okay, so Thus saith the Lord. Is the king of Tyre that horrible? He must be. Yeah. Right? Okay. He must be. But this is what he says in verse 13. He says, And you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, uh, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold uh, were your settings and your engravings. Okay, now I've never seen a human made out of these things. Okay? But I do believe that this is exactly what Satan was made out of. And how cool, if you really understand this picture... The Bible, the Bible tells us that he was that anointed cherub, that signet of perfection, right? That anointed cherub that, that covers the throne, okay? So if, why do we like diamonds? Why do we like gold? Why do we like all that stuff? Because it's shiny, it's flashy. I mean, 
we're so simple people, right? Ooh, that, that glitters. <laughs> I mean, gold isn't a good metal. It, it's soft, it, it bends, it, you, you know, but, but it's pretty, right? Um, here, here's what you need to understand. Listen to me. It reflects glory. It reflects light. We love diamonds because of what it does when the light hits it. You take a diamond, you put it in a dark room, it's just a piece of rock. It, 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 you know, it's not good for anything until the light hits it. And when the light hits it and it refracts that light and it does all those wonderful things. Okay, so think about it. If, if you're the anointed cherub that covers the throne of God and you're made out of all of these jewels and all these wonderful things, when the glory of the Lord shines from the throne and hits that, hits that creature, what happens? Just the magnification of the glory of the Lord and, and how wonderful that would be as he has the ability to magnify the Lord, right? Okay, and it's kind of like the sun and the moon. When you look at the sun and the moon, the, the, the moon, like the last couple of days, the moon has been bright. Mm -hmm. Or has it? No. Has, has the moon been bright? The earth has been out of the way. <laughs> What's really happening, the... the, the it's reflecting. That's all it's doing, right? It's reflecting the light of the sun, but it has no light of its own. Well, the problem with Lucifer is that he thought he had something. You see, the same thing happens with us when God incorporates us into that light. I'll talk about that in a second. If we're not careful, we can also get lifted up with pride, thinking that we got something to offer, thinking that we... Listen, it's the exact same problem that the devil had. And the, and the truth is, is that if you have anything good, if there's anything shiny in you, it came from the Lord. It's not from you, right? So he goes on. He says in verse 13, you were in, the Eden, you, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Let's go on down to verse number 14. It says, and you were the anointed uh, guardian cherub. And I placed you. Right? So God is saying, I put you there. You, you didn't put yourself there. You didn't try to self-promote. I made you for that purpose. Right? He says, I placed you and you were, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. And you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and in your sins. So I cast you as, prof as a profane, profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Okay, so you, you see that he's cast out of heaven. So the question that I have for you is, is that the context tells us that he was walking in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Then he was cast out of heaven. So when? When did that happen? Okay? And so the, that, that really begins to get us to understand how the earth became a, a place of darkness and void because there was something before humans. There was a catastrophe that happened before humanity and that was the struggle between Satan and God. Yeah. Okay, now that's an important point for you to understand. And it's interesting to me that God doesn't lay all that out at the beginning. He just wants you to understand in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. The earth was without form. But the Bible student finds out, wait a minute, there's a little more to that. So now you've got the fall of Satan. 
And, and look what happens. Um, let's go over to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Look over at Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter is closer to First John, right? Second Peter chapter 3. Now, sometimes when you're reading, you just, <coughs> we just read through things so fast that we really don't catch the context of what's being said. So I would encourage you guys to do something that most people have neglected to do. And that's to meditate. Take time. Um, who cares if you read the Bible through in a year? If you read the Bible through in a year and you don't understand what it says, what, what have you done? Yeah. Take time to just meditate on what it is saying. Okay? As far as like meditating to, um, one thing that I've learned is before you even pray, try to meditate on how great God is before you actually go ahead and pray because otherwise you make it more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Good, Jared. It's good. All right, let's look at uh, verse number five. Um, Let me start reading in verse number one just for context, all right? It says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Uh, In both of them, I'm I'm stirring up your your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, these things are written down on purpose. You guys should understand these signs. You should understand what the apostles are saying. And I think in today's world, man, if you start to talk to somebody about what's coming next, most people have no idea. Guys, listen, as Christians, we're dropping the ball. God says, I told you the end of the story. I told you the whole thing. And and, and we're just dropping the ball, right? Verse number three says, knowing this first, Uh, First of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, which are these days, uh, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. There's a key word there. There's a time marker, right? From the beginning of creation. What he says, all things are the same from the beginning of creation. Okay, but he goes on, he says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. So, has all things continued the same from the beginning of creation? No. Not according to the scripture because he says they deliberately. What that means is, is that they know better and they're just looking over it. Okay. So like, for example, if your grandma had been taking you to church whenever you're a little kid and you heard that preacher say, listen, here's 88 reasons why the Lord's going to come back in 1988. <laughs> Do you ever hear that, Alan? Right. So that, that, that thing was out there. Right. And so 1988 came. And it went, you know. Um, and so what it does, I, you know, the Bible says that no man knows the, the, the time that the Lord's going to come back. But we can know the season. We can see the signs of his coming. And we are supposed to discern those times and know the end times. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that before we get done in our class. Um, but, but notice this fact. He says in verse 5, he says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago. So what we understand about creation, the Bible's telling us it's a lot older than that. It's a lot older than that, right? Uh, for they deliberately are, are it says that, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was, was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed. 
So that, that there was a world. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There was, there was a world that existed. But look what happens to it. It says, um, it, it says uh, and the earth was, was formed out of the water and through the water and by the word of God. And, and that by means of these, the, the, uh, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Okay, no. What does the word deluged mean? Overflowed, totally immersed. To deluge something, really, the, the, the reason why ESV has translated that way is it's trying to give you a better picture of a dunking. Right? Uh, it wasn't just overflowed. It was, it was deluged. Like if you were going to do that, that's what you would do. If you had something and you were going to deluge it, you would, you would dunk it down in the water. It's like the wrestler preacher. Yeah. yeah. You guys saw that on Facebook. Yeah. I'll never do that. But anyway. <laughs> um, so um, it says that, that the world that then, uh, the, it says by these means the world that then existed was deluged with water and it perished. Now that's an interesting phrase there when it says that it perished because what that means is, is it, it, it no longer existed the same way that it was before. Okay, now let's contrast that to Noah and the ark. Okay, the whole world was overflowed with water at that moment. Agreed? Right. According to the scriptures, right? The whole world. Did it perish? Okay, as a matter of fact, God took very specific means to make sure that it did not perish. Uh, that's why you had all the animals that came on, right? Uh, so you had the animals that were on the ark, and, and this is in um, uh, chapter uh, 7 through 9, right, of Genesis. But you had all the animals that were on there. But then what happened? A after, the, uh, after the floods came, um, I was trying to remember exactly how long. I think it was a nine-month period that they were on the ark, and, and then the waters began to subside, Right, um, and what happened? Trees began to grow. Everything was still in its place. It, it was a massive flood, no question about it. But the world did not perish. So this is a different time frame that it's talking about, and it even goes on a little further and says in verse number seven, it says, "By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist." Okay, so you have ones that that were. You have a heaven and an earth that is now, and look what it says. It says. That, that now exists are, are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for, for, uh, of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that, the Lord, that, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So what he's saying is, is that there's a, there's a world that was, there's a world that is, but this world is kept in store for what? For fire. For fire. Right, you, you you heard me say this morning, it's all going to burn. Right, I mean the things that we care about, and you know you can get the most expensive boat that you want. And I don't care. The truth is, is that if it lasts long enough, it's going to burn, because he's going to completely dissolve this entire thing. Wait, let's read a little farther because it actually says it here. Verse number nine it says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, or toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." Isn't that a blessing? The only reason why he hasn't destroyed it yet is he loves us. Is he says, I'm going to give you one more day. Listen, when you guys wake up in the morning, and if you've not received Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, listen, God is very gracious to give you another day. Right? 
But you know, the blessing for me is that when you get up in the morning, you can say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for another day that you are merciful, that somebody, somebody might repent today. Amen. Somebody might come to you today. All right, let's go on. Verse number 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens uh, will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, uh, in lives of holiness and godliness? Do you not understand what's happening? The world that then was, was destroyed. Do you not think that God will do it again? That's what he's saying. Listen, this has already happened. I want you guys to turn over to Ecclesiastes. I don't think I put this in the scripture, in, in the notes, but look at, uh, and bear with me as I do this off the top of my head, but look at Ecclesiastes. If you can get to Psalms, you can go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I want you to look at chapter three. And look at verse number 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 14. Look at this verse. He says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. Look at verse number 15. That which is already has been. This is a major verse in the scriptures. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. All right, so let me sum up this for you. Let me get you to understand what's happening. This whole work, now there's scripture to back this up as well is a redemptive work. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? Then you had the destruction that came through Satan um, as the world was deluged in water and perished, okay? Um, then God says, but I'm not gonna have loss at the hands of Satan. So he begins a redemptive work. And so he remakes the earth, right? Um, and he sets it the way that it, that it is now or the way that it was during that time of creation, not quite like it is now, puts humans on there, right? Um, gives us the ability to become the sons of God. We're gonna last forever, right? Uh, those that receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we go on with him forever. The Bible tells us that Satan drew a third part of the stars with him. Stars in, in Revelation were a picture of, of angels, Right? So we don't know what the number of that is. We, but we do know that there, were, that there were angels that fell with Satan. Agreed? Okay, so they, they, they fall with, with Satan and there's a, there, there's a void there. God's created something and now there's a void because these guys are, are, are not gonna last forever. They're gonna be thrown into the lake of fire and burned for all of eternity, right? But God says, I tell you what, I'm gonna restore. I'm gonna make it what it was supposed to be again. And so you've got us, now we're becoming those sons of God, right? Which I believe, and if I ever have an opinion, I'm gonna tell you that, okay? This is my opinion, okay? What I believe is happening is that God is using us to restore that number of whatever it is 
Because when you get to the end of Revelation and you see the new heaven and the new earth, it's exactly the same way that it was in Genesis 1.1. All he's doing is bringing it back around and making it what it was supposed to be in the first place. Okay? So this is a work of redemption that's happening. Now, uh, it very well could be, I want you guys to turn back to Job 38 again. Look at Job 38. Just remember that Ezekiel. You're going to have to meditate on that one. That which was has already been. That which is going to be, what does it say? Has already been. Okay? So you can do one of two things. You can say, man, we're just puppets. Or you can say, praise God, he's already got this whole thing figured out. Right? So we're in Job 38. Now, we talked last time about how he started questioning Job. And we, we saw the, the context of creation. Right? Um, when you look at verse number seven, it says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. But then look at verse number eight. It says, or who shut up the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds uh, its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and uh, prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors. What is all that talking about? You see, everything was fine when he's talking about, you know, the measurements and everything that God's doing. But then he comes back and in verse number eight, he says, um, but who shut up the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Now, remember, what was what happened to the earth the first time? It was deluged, right? It was sunk in water. Now, whenever John is on the earth in Revelation, and he sees the new Jerusalem coming down. Okay. Um, if we're on the earth um, and we see something coming from space, it's going to look like it's coming down to us, right? But what if that's not the case at all? What if the earth is moving back up where it was before? Because here's what the Bible says. New Jerusalem is the throne. Agreed, right? Uh, New Jerusalem is the throne. You can get some of this from um, Revelation 20 through 22, okay? But the Bible, it says that the earth is his footstool. Okay? So you've got the throne, and then you've got the footstool. And I really do believe that, they're, that they were able to pass. You know, when it says that, that Satan was walking in the Garden of Eden, but yet he was the anointed, the anointed cherub that covers, right? He could be both of those. I think he could do that and also be in the Garden of Eden because they could pass freely one from the other. There's no sin to keep that from happening. There's no need for the sun because... The glory of the Lord is, is the sun or, or the light thereof, right? Um, there's nothing separating the two. They're together the way that they're supposed to be. But now what's happened is, is that because of the sin of, of Satan, he's caused a division. And he separated his glory from the earth. And how did he do that? He did it through water, okay, as he deluged the earth. And that's exactly what we see here described in Job 38, verse number eight. It says, or who shut in, shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the, from the womb? When, it, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bands. Do you know that scientists have actually said that they can see to the end of the universe? That they, that they can actually see that there's, there's a stopping point, that there's something that's out there, but they have no idea what it is. All they know is, is that it doesn't go any farther. I'm just telling you. You can check me on this stuff, okay? I'm just telling you what scientists say. 
Um, but, but it makes complete I love the way that scientists are constantly catching up with the Bible. Right? They're, they're, they're like, oh, and we're like, we've known that for a long time, right? Because I'll tell you what's on the other side of that. It's the glory of the Lord. But what he's done is he has covered himself because of the sin. And think about it. You know, the Bible says that, that, that he's a consuming fire, right? And so for the sake of the earth, he has, he's covered himself, if you will, with these swaddling bands of clouds, okay, so that it's darkness, and, um, and, he, and his light has been separated from the earth. So, and he says in verse number 10, and, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further. So he's put a limitation on how far. I don't care what kind of spaceship that we could make. There's a limitation. There's only so far that you've got that, that you can go. Now, I think it's interesting that he says that he put bars and doors Okay, because in Job chapter one, it says that Satan came to present himself unto the Lord. And I think that's through these bars and these doors that he can still present himself to the Lord, but yet he can't enter back in to that place of glory. Okay, so man, there's so much that I want to tell you guys, but because um, we could talk, we could literally talk about the falls of Satan, you know, uh, and get you guys to fully understand that. And I will do some of that before we get done. But my point is just to get you to understand. Let's go back to Genesis again. Let's go back to Genesis 1-3 now. So let's continue reading. Well, verse number two, as we finish it out, it makes a lot more sense when it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what happens? The spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Okay? So to me, that's a great sea, right? You've got this huge sea here. And then you've got the Holy Spirit that's hovering over that huge sea. And notice what he says in verse number three. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, who, what is light? What did we learn from 1 John? God is light. All right. So this is just him exposing himself. Right. This is him just putting light back out into the into the universe again. Well, actually the universe hadn't been created yet, but we'll get there. He says, let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day, right? So you've got this light that happens. But let me tell you, as I'm studying the Bible, let me tell you, see, that's, that's impressive to me, but I don't do anything with that. As far as I'm concerned, I understand educationally what God did. He spoke light into existence where there was no light. You with me? Okay, but now check this out. Here's, here's what the Bible student will begin to find out. Go over to 2 Corinthians and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and let's see how that applies to us. And again, I'm going to start reading in verse number 1 for context sake. All right. Second Corinthians chapter four, and verse number one. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Now, we talked about the ministry this morning being that ministry of reconciliation. God wants us to be reconciling people unto himself. Right. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced d disgraceful, unhanded, un unhanded ways. 
our underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning, uh, to, to tamper with God's word, but, but by the, the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Right? So what he's saying there is, well, let me, let me go on a little bit farther and I'll explain that. Uh, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So listen, we talk about that light bulb moment whenever somebody hears the gospel and all of a sudden they understand what they did not understand before. I'm lost, I'm in darkness, and there is a light, right? And then he goes on and he says, who is, who is the image of God, right? For, for, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now check this out, because this is the coolest thing. He says, for God who said, let light shine. Now that's a direct reference over to Genesis chapter one and verse number three. That God has the power to say, let there be light and there was light. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The very same power that God had to bring light into this darkened world is the very same power that opened up your heart and brought light of the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Amen. Why? Because God is light. Listen, you are filled now with the light of creation, with the light of God. Amen. You are no longer of darkness. Remember the two contrasting, right? You were in darkness. But you're not in darkness anymore. And even though Satan was trying to veil that light, God still broke through. Even in the midst of the void in your life, God still broke through and brought light where there was no light. He spoke it into existence, into your heart, just like he did when he brought it into creation. I don't know about you guys, but that makes me feel good. Right? Because I've got the power. Listen, I've got the power of creation in my heart and you do too if you if you've come into this understanding look it goes on there's a little bit more look at verse number seven he says but we have this treasure isn't that a treasure that you have the light of god living inside you right now he says you have this treasure in jars of clay right um, in in um in king james it says in earthen vessels all right, so so it's been veiled in in, a, in jars of clay. That would be our flesh, right? To show that to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not of us. Okay, I don't know if you guys remember in, in Revelation, and some of you guys have read this, and some of you haven't. But in Revelation, whenever John is translated up to heaven, whenever he goes in the spirit and is in heaven, he sees an angel there, right? Okay, well he immediately hits his hits his face right? Scared to death, hits his face, begins to worship this angel, right? Um, he thinks that it's God, okay? But the angel pulls him back up and says, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just like you are. He's like, you're not like me, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's something, 
He had the, because what happened is, is that the glory of the Lord was showing on, on him, was shown on him, right? Um, turn over to Matthew chapter seven, oh, 17. Look at Matthew chapter 17. This is such an awesome passage. If you've got a title there, it'll say the transfiguration, right? Matthew chapter 17. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. So this is not everybody. This is not all 12 disciples. You just got the inner three that he takes up on the mountain, right? He takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up into a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Let me tell you what happened. Is that basically Jesus just says this. Let me show you who I really am. What an amazing thing that must have been. And so he just basically peels back the flesh and he just says, this is who I really am. And all of a sudden you get the same picture that you see in Revelation after he's ascended and all those kinds of things, right? So now you see that, that, that light of the Lord, okay? But isn't it interesting that we, the, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that we're created in the image and likeness of God. So when Adam was created, he would have been also created with that image and likeness, uh, that image, if somebody says, man, you're a spitting image of your father, what do they mean? You look like, you, you look like him, all right? If they say, you're like your father, it, that, that's more of your, uh, you, you know, your personality or your traits, right? Um, and what it says is, is that we had both the image and the likeness of God. So we also had that glory of the Lord showing, showing around about us, just like Jesus shows these guys. Now, notice what happens to these guys. He, he goes on and he says, um, uh, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to, to Jesus, Lord, it is good for that, that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents or three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know what Peter's saying? You all look the same to me, right? And what he's getting from these guys, he's about to make a, he's about to make a, a, a worshiping tabernacle to Moses and to Elijah, right? And God says, no, no, no. He shuts it down, right? In verse number five, it says, and he was still speaking. When, when he was still speaking, so he interrupts Peter, Okay, uh, kind of shuts him down. He says, behold, a bright a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise, or, arise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, uh, they saw no one but Jesus only. So when you, when you get that picture, um, turn over to Proverbs chapter eight. Let me tell you what I'm doing for you guys. I'm giving to you, number one, what was given to me, but I'm also giving you about 20 years worth of Bible study, okay? Um, trying to get you guys ahead a little bit, um, but that's never gonna take away from you having your own personal time with God, okay? Um, uh, you know what? I said Proverbs 8. That's good for talking about wisdom, but I want to go to go to Psalm 8. Go to Psalm 8. You guys have probably heard this, but Psalm 8, everybody there? 
Verse number one says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of, of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that thou art mindful of him or that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He says, you have made him a little lower than, than the heavenly beings and crowned him with what? Glory and honor. You see, when man was created, he crowned him. Now, what is glory? What is glory? It's light, right? The glory of the Lord shone round about them, right? Uh, what does that mean? That means it got bright, right? So what he's saying here is, is that you've got the glory of the Lord on Adam when he was created, right? He gave him dominion over the works of his hands, over the over the sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of heavens, fish of the sea, right? Uh, verse number nine, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, yeah, exactly. So the, the cool thing about that is, is that what do we know in Genesis chapter three? You guys go back over to Genesis chapter three. And let's go down to verse number six when they eat the fruit. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave unto her husband with, uh, who was with her and he ate, right? Some people have been questioning where Adam's at. Very specific. He's right there. He's right there. Uh, verse number seven. Exactly. Yeah, he was actually a chicken, right? He was like, no, you, you go ahead. You go ahead and eat that fruit and see what happens, right? Yeah. Verse number seven says, then, the, the, then their eyes both were opened and what? Oh, they, okay, what happened? What happened? It wasn't that they were naked and then all of a sudden they woke up and said, oh, I'm naked. It wasn't like that. The glory of the Lord had shone on them. They had a covering. They had a clothing of God's glory who was on them. But yet as soon as they ate that fruit, then they were separated from God. And just like God did the earth, whenever he separated himself from it and the glory was separated from it, it put it in darkness. So Adam and Eve were now in darkness. Their bodies changed. What you have now is not what we had then. We talk about getting our glorified bodies, right? We talk about, uh, the, we know that these bodies are sin-ridden uh, uh, and, and that we're going to die because of it, right? Uh, these bodies are going to pass. But when you get your glorified body, what happens is, is that you get that Moses-Elijah thing back where you, you're now covered again in the glory of the Lord. You have your true covering. Isn't it interesting how much people are trying to cover themselves? Clothes are a big deal. Uh, it, it's a status for us, what kind of clothes that we wear, isn't it? Right? Um, we, you know, and, and then the, the amount of jewelry that you have and all these kind of things. Listen, you know what man's just trying to do? He's trying to get back to where he was. He's trying to get back to what God had actually given him, which is that glory that was on him, and we lost it. And God says, here's the thing. I'll give it back to you. I'll give it back to you. All you have to do is repent. You ate the fruit. 
All you got to do is repent. So we don't really need cars. We're going to be Oh my goodness. I can see Josh walking in next Sunday leading us in singing. Oh, Naked as a jaybird. Yeah. I'll be like, dude, you're not covered yet. <laughs> it's coming. But I'm seeing a jar of clay that I want I want covered up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So but but that's but do you see what's happened there is that he has given that back to you. That light that you had before, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he says that, that, that light that was spoken into existence, he's just put it in your heart. Why? Because, Ray, if you were shining like you're going to be shining, then everybody would be falling. You wouldn't be able to minister to anybody. You wouldn't be able to say, hey, I want to point you to God because they would be saying, Ray, you are a God, Right? So what God has done on behalf of everybody else is he says, I'm going to take that treasure, that treasure of light. I'm going to put it inside you. I'm going to give you all power, right? You get all the power of creation. You get all of my power. It's going to live inside you, but, it, but, I'm, but I'm going to conceal it in that earthen vessel so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So instead of people looking at us saying, man, you're really cool. When people look at us and they say, man, what, what's going on? We can say, no, it's not me. If you see any good in me, it's the Lord. And it just allows us to just point to the Lord. But all the power of creation lives inside you. Isn't that amazing? So here's what we've learned tonight. We've learned that God's doing a restoration work, right? That he's bringing it back to what it was before. So from now on, when you look in your scriptures... What you need to understand is that God had something. Satan messed it up, right, with the fall. God had to judge sin because he's a just God. So he had to judge it. But in the midst of the judging of that sin, he says, I'm not going to be at loss. I can restore it. And he begins a restoration process. So this last 6,000 years of human history is God saying, I'm going to bring it back to what it was before. And I'm going to start with people. And then I'm going to remake the earth. And then we're going to be right back where we were before. So in the beginning when God created the heaven and the earth. You're going to be at the end when you have the, the, the temple. And the earth in its place where it was before. Amazing? Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard that before? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yes? No? Is that new stuff? Um, uh, you told so, yeah, well, listen, yeah, and I'm all up for questions. I mean, do we have time? Yeah, yeah, we do. We got 15 minutes. Okay, so if, if when God um, spoke light into the, into the world, over the face of the, the water, or, yeah. or I mean, into the void, right? In the darkness, the, the, the darkness, I mean, the light and the darkness couldn't, okay, <laughs> I don't know, how that, but in my mind, I'm. I, it's it's God put that same light in us, but now many many Christians churches full of Christians that that, that light will show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and in the beginning, the light and the darkness didn't have a choice. There was no choice. The light this was the light, and the dark was the dark. And God put the heaven mm -hmm. and the earth. I mean, the uh, the sun and the moon to divide that. But in us, I mean, we choose to to keep to let it shine and to and to. Use that. You said we have all power in us, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just I still have problems. 
And I don't mean to brag, I mean, you've talked about this before, but I still have problems with someone who says, I've got it, and is able to keep that power and that light inside and not seem to have any consequence for it at all. I mean, I mean just, yeah. Jesus talks about it in the book of Matthew. He says that, you know, who, who takes a, a, a candle, a light, and covers it with a basket? Instead, you must remove the basket and shine to the whole house. And I think that it is up to that person's choice because the Bible says it is worse for a man to know the truth and not act in the truth. You know, it's better for him to never know it at all. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that in that kind, con- in that concept, is that person's making a choice. They know the truth. They know that they have the living God within them, mm-hmm. but they choose to live outside of God's ways. Let's uh, let's look at scripture, okay? Look at First Thessalonians. I had you guys put all your Bibles on, right? Um, yeah, and, and I love the questions. So let's look at First Thessalonians and look at chapter five. And notice what he says here. He says, and there's tons of places that we could go, uh, but this is a good one, talking about that contrast between light and dark, right? He says in verse one, he says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for that I have anything written to, uh, to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Okay, now what he's done immediately is he set up the night, right? As a thief in the night, right? But then he goes on and he says, uh, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come, uh, come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day, uh, for, uh, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So... Uh, so he goes on in verse number six and he says, so then, okay, so if that's the case, if in fact we have passed from death to life, if we've passed from darkness into light, he says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep a, a, awake and be sober for those who sleep are, are, are sleep at night and those who, are, who, who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not, dis, uh, um, for God has not um, destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a great contrast between somebody who's walking in the day and somebody who's walking in the night, right? So the only thing that we have, because we can't see the heart, right? We can't see the treasure, all we can see is the fruit of that and the fruit of those treasures. I'm, I'm somewhat like Alan in the fact that I'm not an easy believism kind of person. Let me tell you where I think some of this stuff came from is that people were trying to count numbers, putting notches on their belts of how many people that they'd won to Christ. And in all honesty, a lot of this started back in, in probably the early 1950s when we started having great revivals and, you know, and all these kinds of things. And so um, the, the message was very simple. It was that hellfire and brimstone. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Jared, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Heaven, please. <laughs> right? 
Who would not say that? Right? Is that the choice that Jesus came to make? Did Jesus come preaching? Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? No, what Jesus said is that, do you want to have a relationship with me? I am the Lord. So to choose the Lord is not to choose heaven. It's to choose him. Right? So when a person comes to Christ, and this is Romans chapter 10, the Bible specifically says that you must believe that he is, right? And that you must believe he is Lord. That you must confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Lord of what? Lord of you. Right? He's your Lord, right? You're no longer in charge. You're no longer the one who's got that. So you make a, 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 a conscious decision to turn over your rights to another and turn over your life to another and give your life to Jesus. Now see, that's a, to me, that's a whole nother ball game than do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Because I'll be honest with you, that, that's the same question that they ask to uh, Muslims. People are blowing themselves up that they might go to paradise. I'm, I'm serious, right? So people do crazy stuff trying to get to heaven. But that's never even the goal. I love what David said. And remember, this is about that emotional connection to God, right? What David said is, listen, if if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. He said, I can't get away from you. Don't want to get away from you. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. Okay? And I think the same thing needs to apply to us is we've got to understand this is not about us getting some kind of mansion or walking on streets of gold. Listen, I'll trade all of that in to be with Jesus. Let me, let me just give you another little piece. When you talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, and I'll, we'll talk about more of this as we go, um, but there was one tribe, it was the tribe of Levi, right? And, and the tribe of Levi were the ones that were the priests. You guys remember that? Okay, and I don't know if you guys remember when they went into the land, they started divvying up the land to everybody. But when you get to the, to the tribe of Levi, you know what he says to the tribe of Levi? You don't get a portion of the land. Here's what you get. You get a portion of me. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I'll take that portion any day. Because the land's only here for a while, but God's here forever. And, and, and it was such a blessing. To, and what a picture that he was saying is that, okay, these guys are going to be managing all that. But, but listen, you and I are going to hang out. You'll get a piece of me. That's what I want. So when you guys are reading the scriptures, I want you to know that that power of that light that illuminates you, that illuminates your mind, it's there. It's in you. It's the same when God spoke into creation. Listen, do you not think he can teach you this Bible? Do you not think he can give you what you need out of the scriptures? Just just understand who you are, that you have that treasure and use it. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen, ask anything in my name and you will have it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's that's a heavy statement for us. But if we act in the the name of Christ, if we walk with Christ, why would he withhold anything from us? All power, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. Right? Because all power is also in you. Okay, so that's the lesson for tonight. Quite a bit, right? So check me on it, study it up, 
Um, I will have another cheat sheet for you guys next week as we continue to go through. Oh, that's right. Thanks, Meg. Um, uh, don't tell anybody this, but we're going on vacation. Uh, so, um, but we are going to have a guest speaker next week. Um, it's going to be one of the guys from Global Focus, which I'm really excited about. Keith's coming. Global Frontier. Uh, what a Global Focus. Man. I keep saying that. I'm tired. Uh, Global Frontier. Yeah. Global Frontier Missions. So uh, I'm excited about that. All right. Let me pray for us and we'll be out of here.